0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations,
1: and everything
0: in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And Brenna, it's time for a Minnesota. (laughs) It's a
1: Minnesota. It's a Minnesota that brings me great joy. We're talking about uh, the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia, which is a sort sort of sitcom. It's a sitcom. That dropped, yeah. <laughs> that dropped on Netflix on February seventeenth, And uh, I pinged Joe about it because it's uh, teen property and there were only eight episodes and I was like, hey, this would make a good mini-sode. And then we were thinking about the fact that nobody seems to know this show exists. So I
0: did not know that this show existed until you pinged me.
1: Yeah. So we're yeah. going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah,
0: so yeah, that's more or less the structure. We're going to talk a little (laughs) bit about why no one seemed to know that the show existed, and then we're going to talk about the show proper. And, Breda, you have seen the whole first season. I have. Okay, and I have seen two episodes. Yeah. And people, if you are looking for something a little bit lighter, a little bit escapist to binge, this is a good option for you because these are 30-minute episodes. They are in and out.
1: Yes. And I don't know, I feel like my life has been just really stressful lately. And this show was just kind of like a, ah, oh. <laughs> uh. a bit of a relief, you know, there's nothing that high stakes happening on this television program. And I welcomed it. Yes,
0: it is beautifully simplistic and doing it well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just like I only watched two episodes. I didn't need any more of that. Um, you know,
0: spoiler, <laughs> caveat, alert. This is not a show for me, but no. I can appreciate the fact that it exists.
1: Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All okay. right, so you were going to give some of like the temporal context to when this show dropped in relation to some other shows. Because I think what we want to talk about is like what is Netflix doing when it chooses what to sell us and what not to sell us? Exactly.
0: Yeah, so people who are... I mean, I feel like most people are familiar with the way that Netflix operates, but Mm -hmm. just as a quick primer in case you don't know, so Netflix is the original streamer, and in the last year and a half or so it has really begun to double down on its original programming so Mm -hmm. originally it started kind of as a repository it was gobbling up old shows and movies and it was saying you know what here is a cheap and easy way give us your five dollars eight dollars thirteen dollars and you can watch all of this content that we've collected. Mm -hmm. And then they started to produce their own content, or they would do co-productions with foreign entities, which allowed them to then break into unprecedented new audiences. Because all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, they could prioritize their own content. That was when we started to see older shows, movie content starting to get reduced in favor of Netflix originals, as they were called.
1: Yeah. And it started with stuff that was like, really radical, the kind of things that you wouldn't find on network television. So like, Orange is the New Black was part of the first wave of Netflix original programming, right? And it was this idea Mm -hmm. that like, we're here to do something different.
0: Yeah, it was either big prestige stuff like House of Cards, or Mm -hmm. stuff that could never find an an audience on conventional network and even cable. Mm -hmm. So they were really trying to push the model forward. And for a while that was working for them and then they started to realize, you know what, we can actually make more money or in order to maintain the audiences that we do have, we need to just be offering more content. So we started to see some dilution in terms of the quality or Not even the range, because they started to expand into things like game shows and reality television, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people started to complain that the quality, the standards weren't quite there, because it seemed like Netflix was really just adding as much as they possibly could. And we've seen this accelerate in (laughs) the wake of things like Apple TV, Disney Mm -hmm. Plus, there's Mm -hmm. HBO Max that is coming in the near future. So we're really in the middle of what we now call the streaming wars, where everybody is looking to find an edge. But at the same time, you need to have as much of this content as possible so that you can try to attract different audiences.
1: It's sort of the Web 2.0 mantra that emerged with like Facebook and YouTube. This content is king as the sort of way of thinking about seeking out audience and i think for a while netflix thought content is king as being like we're the place you can find stuff you can't find anywhere else Mm -hmm. and now content is king seems to be pure volume
0: yes 100 percent volume and i
1: think as a result (laughs) to rewind back to the beginning of what you were saying joe in the beginning It was, yes, it was Netflix as repository, but it was also Netflix as algorithm, right? Like Mm -hmm. people really loved the early Netflix algorithm. The fact that after you'd watched a few things, you could flip on Netflix and it would tell you something to watch and it would, you know, know eight times out of 10, it would be right. It would be something you enjoyed and often something from a back catalog that you never would have considered before. And it seems to me that they have dropped their prioritizing of the algorithm component I don't think the things it serves me are anywhere near in my wheelhouse in the way they were two or three years ago. I think that now what I mostly get are like, this is the hot thing that everybody is watching and we're serving it to you.
0: Correct. So a lot of people have identified that that coincided. So the the kind of elimination of a curated algorithm that really knew you and understood you was actually deprioritized or possibly even kind of done away with as the Netflix originals began to add up. Because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Netflix realized we don't need those other things. Like we don't need to cue you to something that you maybe didn't know you wanted Mm -hmm. because we'd rather actually have you watch something atrocious like Love is Blind.
1: And this is the thing, like, so if I use ashley garcia as an example so i use netflix primarily for this show Mm and for this podcast for this podcast and for escapism so i watch a lot of ya and i watch a lot of
0: lighter fare
1: yeah lighter fare like when my kiddo was little and was like not paying attention to the tv so i could still have it like on in the background while i did things i was really careful about like what kind of family sort of stuff was on in the background so Mm -hmm. my netflix queue on my profile is full of background noise, real pleasant sitcoms, uh, documentaries about food, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But I also like I binged One Day at a Time. I loved that show. So it's weird to me that someone who, you know, really high rating to One Day at a Time watches a lot of YA content and really does prioritize In My Escapist content, not just looking at white people. Mm -hmm. And Netflix did not suggest the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia to me. Yes.
0: So this is where I kind of I want to be careful because I feel like when we preface this topic, we maybe hinted that there was some nefarious racism (laughs) at work here. And it's important to acknowledge that Netflix doesn't actively look for things to fail. They're not interested in having a show like The Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia and then saying, you know what, we don't want this to go beyond one season. We're actively looking to kill it. That's not in the company's best interest. It's not going to help their bottom line. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason that they did green light the show. They Mm -hmm. obviously do think it has an audience, but what we've seen is that this is not a high profile, it's not a priority one kind of show for them. So. To provide a little bit of context, you mentioned that this show came out around Mm mid-February, and within two weeks of this show debuting, we got two other YA-driven properties. Mm -hmm. One is All the Bright Places, which is a show that we can do in the future because it is an adaptation of a book. It's about mental illness, and it's got Elle Fanning and Justice Smith. And I... 100% saw this on the landing page when Mm -hmm. I would log in to Netflix. Mm -hmm. It was all over the place. If you look for reviews online, you can find a bunch of different outlets who have covered it. They've given it reviews. They've talked about it. You know, sites are talking about the adaptation compared to the book and so on. So that's one example. Mm -hmm. And then the other example is actually our episode for next week, which is I Am Not Okay With This, which is another property It's more in the teen sci-fi realm. Uh It's another adaptation, which is why we're covering it. Uh And this one has a couple of the kids from the It movies. And it's gotten a lot of comparisons to things like Stranger Things. Uh So it's also been very widely reviewed and people have sampled it. Mm -hmm. So those are two examples. And yes, obviously, one of the big distinctions is that they have predominantly white casts or well known actors in the roles because Justice Smith is obviously not white, but he is Justice Smith. Yes. (laughs) Which then brings us to something like the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia. So if you go online, I don't know about you, Brenna, literally could not find a single review of this show. I saw a blog post from a concerned parents watch group that was kind of saying, hey, this is actually really good family-friendly fare, Mm. but it's not a review. It's kind of saying, here's the premise, and...
1: There's no boobs.
0: There's no boobs, there's no (laughs) profanity, the sex quotient is very tame, so, you know, if you're watching this with your 12-year-old child, this is a good option. Yeah. Yeah. That is literally the extent of what I could find about this show.
1: Yeah, and for me, uh, I always go to Twitter to see what people are talking about. And there's, like, lots of teens, young teens, and I would say predominantly Latinx teens talking Mm -hmm. about it on Twitter. But yeah, definitely not. Like, there's certainly no, it didn't get a review anywhere cool. Um, And it's definitely not a cool show. Like, I think it's fair to say that. (laughs)
0: well (laughs) cool in the way that it's not ostentatious and it's not going to be headline grabbing because in a way it feels like a very traditional show the kind of show that you might have seen for families back in the 80s maybe the 90s you know i could see this sandwiched in between step by step and family matters
1: totally i was comparing it off the top before we started recording to joe if like if you put it on the trajectory of of sitcoms on netflix Things with mm-hmm. laugh tracks on Netflix is a yes. category that I have in my brain. This show is about fifty or sixty light years better than Fuller House, mm-hmm. and Fuller House obviously is going to get a lot of attention because it's a reboot. Because it's a reboot with primarily original cast, so yeah. it's nostalgia porn, basically. Sure. And this show is not as good as something like One Day at a Time that took the sitcom box and made it radical, right? That took the sitcom box and it pushed it in all kinds of really interesting ways so that it could talk about PTSD and abuse and sexuality Mm -hmm. and like really sort of use this comforting structure of the multi-camera and laugh track sort of that we're also familiar with and pushed it in really interesting directions. Right. But I would say that Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia is sort of in the middle, right? It's a pretty safe show, although I think it pushes way more envelopes than something like Fuller House does. But... I mean it when I say, like, it's not cool. Like, there's nothing cool right now about a laugh track, right? No. And this is one of the things that happened with One Day at a Time, right, is that it really struggled to find an audience as well. And it also was not helped at all by the Netflix choice of what to push and what not to push, right? Exactly. And we had a great conversation when One Day at a Time was canceled on Netflix, although it's coming back on Pop? Pop. Yes,
0: which is not something that Canadians know or understand, but I'm sure we'll find it in some (laughs) other format.
1: (laughs) Someday. So when we talked about One Day at a Time going off the air, we talked about how I always thought the point of Netflix (laughs) was to give space for shows that might not have a massive audience, but that do have a devoted audience. And that was definitely the case with One Day at a Time. And we talked then about how one of the mysteries with Netflix is that we don't really know how it makes its decisions about what to keep and what to not keep.
0: No, because they never release any kind of viewing numbers, apparently even to show creators.
1: That must be so frustrating. (laughs) I can
0: only imagine, particularly in the case of something like One Day at a Time where you're trying to shop it around, but you can't say this is how big our small but dedicated audience is Yes, because Netflix literally will not tell us, please buy our show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this, (laughs) this is exactly it, right? And so, I don't know, to me... This show, and the reason why I want to talk about it in its context is that it's an example to me of how Netflix has really shifted its focus from yes niche-driven, like, I'm going to tailor a channel for you, which is really what Netflix felt like for many years. Like, Mm -hmm. this is the Brenna channel featuring only things Brenna likes, and instead shifting to be like, no, we are… A prestige entertainment destination and we're going to foreground that but then also <laughs> but not even why, prestige anymore because they've boring.
0: got so much garbage yeah like, this
1: is the thing but like and that's i guess that's the part i don't understand Is like i don't understand why love is blind gets a massive push even though i literally everyone on my twitter feed is watching love is blind and no mm-hmm. one is enjoying it <laughs>
0: whereas on my twitter timeline it's a love to hate it like this is so garbage trashy that it's its own form of different kind of escapism but that is neither here nor there because, of course, that is not a YA property. No, it's not. Do not watch that with your kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do not. But I've never watched anything on Netflix in any category that would intersect with Love Is Blind, and it still wants to serve me Love Is Blind.
0: This is true. Yeah. Stanley. When I when I logged in to watch these episodes of Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia, not only did I have to type it in, yeah. <laughs> my landing page was solidly cut between the circle and Love is Blind, and I it, it just really clarified to me that at this point Netflix is going after whatever is hot and yeah. trendy. I yeah. mean, it's obviously a tastemaker in that regard as well, but the simple fact is is that they're not curating for individuals at all anymore.
1: No. And but it's they're a shame. also
0: not interested in highlighting diverse in terms of like a range of content they're really saying here's what's super popular this is what your twitter timeline is talking about don't you want to be in on the mix
1: and it's funny because it used to be that like you could find something on netflix even in the early days of the originals you could find something on netflix that nobody else had seen before and you could be the person who was like oh i just found this like weird totally great thing on netflix you should check it out Mm mm-hmm and now that discoverability is gone. Like, yeah, wow. you have to search for or you have to keep a really close eye. The reason I found out about this show is because it came up in my notifications feed because I have teen content like tagged as something that I want to oh, know more information about. So I, I got an update about it, but only in that little that little notification doohickey that doesn't even show up on right. the app. It only shows up on your computer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's a shame, but I understand that it's probably...
0: It's a business decision. It's a decision. business decision. Yeah. yeah. So in an effort to give this little enjoyable <laughs> show an extra push, yeah. here we are. Yeah. Why don't we talk about it? Let's yes. tell people what this is all about and why they should be checking it out.
1: So I think that the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia is super cute. <laughs> 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 I mean, It's, it's very, very much it's, a Brenna show. It's a Brenna show. So it stars the main character, Ashley Garcia, as the... This is the tagline for the show. The only 15 and a half year old robotics engineer and rocket scientist in the world. Mm -hmm. So Ashley Garcia, she's got two PhDs and she has moved in with her uncle Victor in California. Because uh, she was living on the East Coast to go to school, but she's just gotten her dream job at NASA. And her mom, who is this super overprotective, also PhD in sociology, who is very into critiquing social norms and the experiences of teens and is mm-hmm. therefore a giant fun sucker, yep. really highly relate to the mom character.
0: Ugh, <laughs> mom character. <laughs> So again, I've only seen the one episode with her in it, and I was like, I hope that they write her out after this episode. They do. Because she never she comes
1: back. Because she's terrible. Yeah, no, she
0: never comes back. Hated that character.
1: But what is interesting about that context is that Ashley comes from like a line of smart women, of smart, academic, highly accomplished women. So her yes. mom, I think at the beginning of the episode, we find out her mom has just gotten tenure at 40. So like really accomplished people, right? Mm-hmm. So She moves in with her Uncle Victor, and her Uncle Victor is also accomplished in his own right. He's a high school football coach and a former NFL player who, over the course of the series, you discover he had sort of a fumble...
0: He had a disaster. He had a disaster,
1: (laughs) yes, in the NFL. And so he doesn't play professional football anymore. So it's like a fish out of water story. She's moving to California. She's living with this very cool uncle and his very cool lifestyle. And she herself has basically not had a teen experience. And the idea of moving in with Uncle Victor is that now, finally, two PhDs in hand and a full-time job, she's going to have the opportunity to also be a teenager because Mm -hmm. her Uncle Victor is a little bit more chill.
0: Yeah, she's going to finally be able to try makeup and have girlfriends and kiss a boy.
1: Yes. Yes. That's what she wants to do. She has a bucket list and it's things like get a robot onto Mars and also uh kiss a boy, kiss a boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know it's it's very formulaic it's very predictable it's also extremely cute um there's a love triangle of sorts between ashley and tad who's the captain of the football team that her uncle coaches um and he's her crush right from the beginning of the series but then there's also stick goldstein who is the, (laughs) he's the nerdy, because we're told he's nerdy, but also, like, extremely handsome, um, (laughs) equipment manager of the high school football team. So, you know, the jock versus the geek, and she's sort of in between. And then there's her childhood best friend, Brooke, who is one of the big draws back to Pasadena. So she used to live here, and then she moved back, she moved east for her mom's career, and now she's moving back here, and she's hoping that with Brooke's help, she will learn how to be a normal kid again. And also, Mario Lopez is in it for some reason.
0: <laughs> well, because he helped to develop I know. the show. <laughs> he's a producer on the show.
1: He's a producer and a creator on the show. And he has a created by credit. But he, uh, <laughs> he runs the cafe that Uncle Victor somewhat inexplicably co-owns, this cafe, in addition to being the football coach. Yeah. So he's like, Mario Lopez is there to like offer helpful advice to Victor about this new sort of surrogate parenting role he has taken on.
0: Mm-hmm. And he's not even attempting to play a character. He technically no. has a character name, but he's just Mario Lopez. He's
1: 100% just Mario Lopez. <laughs> yeah. Which again, is fine. You know, I mean, he pops up for, for, for
0: about time. a minute every episode. And here I was like, "All oh, right, Mario Lopez. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, he does. And the first time he popped up, I was very surprised because I didn't realize that he was involved in it at all. And then it just becomes sort of, you know, you just kind of come to ex- expect it. Sure a few uh interesting directed by credits on the show yes i noticed that (laughs) we have two episodes directed by eva longoria and we have one episode directed by melissa joan hart of sabrina fame
0: yes and i can clarify the reason that melissa joan hart is involved in this i'm assuming this is me speculating because she and maria lopez have co-starred in a bunch of those hallmark lifetime Uh, Christmas movies, so I think they have a long-standing career where they have worked professionally together. So I imagine that he was probably like, "Hey, I'm doing this show. Would you like to come in and work with me on it for an episode?"
1: I think she does a really good job. I think that episode is one of the strongest. She directs the penultimate episode of this half season that Netflix released.
0: Yes, because apparently this is also part one of a first season of sixteen episodes. So we have only seen half half of the story.
1: Which Joel, from a marketing perspective, why?
0: Uh, I mean, it makes sense if you actually push the show. Yeah. Part of it is you hypothetically give yourself a second chance. So if you don't connect with an audience on the first go around, you can try to hook them again for a second batch.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I mean, again, me speculating, but in theory, that's how it would work. It also helps to just... Because one of the issues that Netflix encountered in its original format is that it releases all the episodes at once. Mm -hmm. So this gives you a second dose of binge watching.
1: Right. Okay. I thought it was odd because to me, it doesn't make sense without the big marketing push.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong. (laughs) It's entirely possible that you and I, despite everything that we've talked about and how much YA we are watching and how much Netflix we are consuming, it is entirely possible that we are not considered the target audience because we are white. Oh, okay. So it's possible that there was a big marketing push into the Latino or people of color, more broadly speaking, Mm -hmm. market. So they might have done ads on different kinds of websites or different kind of television that Mm. we as white consumers are not always accessing.
1: And I will say, basically, the only place that I read any kind of review, and it's a review, but it's also like, here's a bunch of shows that are doing something interesting kind of piece in the LA Times, Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's called TV Has a New Kind of Heroine, The Latina Genius, Here's Why It Matters. It's by Monica Castillo. It's framed around the fact that the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia had just launched. Okay. But it also looks at Disney Plus's series Diary of a Future President.
0: Hmm. Haven't heard of it.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. This one sounds great, too. It travels back to the formative years of a Cuban-American girl in Miami who will grow up to be the president. Okay. Yeah. Cool. That one stars Tess Romero, but it also draws a line between... Test Romero in Diary of the Future President, Paulina Chavez, who is the person who plays Ashley Garcia in Expanding Universe of Ashley Garcia, and then Isabella Gomez in One Day at a Time, because the teen girl in One Day at a Time is this She's
0: also very smart, right? Super
1: whip smart social justice activist kind of character. Okay. It compares all of these and and looks at why after generations of Latinas being represented on screen as the sexy vixen, the bombshell, right? Like always about their bodies and their sexuality. Right. Why this transition matters says these Latinas are unapologetically ambitious and when they are made to feel bad about their book smarts or their talents they eventually learn to stand up for themselves both Elena and Ashley count on friends to get them through tough spots and both are close to their families even when they're a little bit rebellious from time to time so she's saying that they come from a long tradition of these kind of like plucky YA heroines but what makes it different is that they are also really interconnected with their Latinx heritage and their culture and their family And that's something that grows over the course of the expanding universe of Ashley Garcia. There's an episode that's very, I don't know, interesting where Uncle Victor is trying to get over a heartbreak. And so he like goes to seek this woman who has like traditional methods for get over a heartbreak and stuff. So sometimes it's the butt of the joke, but much like One Day at a Time in a really kind of loving and gentle way. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so... What Castillo says in this LA Times article, how she signs it off, is she says, Latinas like these have always been part of our communities. It's television that's just starting to catch up. So it's this idea of finally sort of broadening and making more complex the way media reads Latinx women. Hmm. Maybe at least in YA content for the first time. So she's really interested in, in how this is now becoming its own little trope that didn't exist, you know, five years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay.
0: I definitely welcome that move. I know in that Concerned Parents article that I looked at, one of the things that they highlighted was the fact that Ashley is very interested in STEM. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember what the acronym stands for.
1: Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math.
0: Thank you. Yes, Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's been a very concerted effort in, I don't know, it feels like forever, but maybe it's been more recent to try to encourage girls to go into the sciences and recognize that they are just as capable if not more capable than boys of going into these traditionally male dominated fields so to see something like this where it's not even ashley saying oh i want to be a scientist i want to be a mathematician she's actively working at nasa like the series opens with her delivering a vlog that no one will see obviously setting up the premise of the show, but actively talking about how excited she is that she's going to be working on a robot that's going to Mars. So it's baked into the premise right from the very get-go. I'll confess, again, I've only seen two episodes, One of the things that I didn't love about the two episodes that I saw was that it so often minimized her actual Mm -hmm. scientific accomplishments. It was kind of like, yeah, I had this bull day working at NASA, but now how (laughs) am I going to come home and find out how to kiss a boy? Yeah,
1: it's true. And that's definitely, I would say that it doesn't get, well... What happens over the course of the series is that the other teenagers begin to realize that it's kind of useful to have someone with several PhDs in their friend group.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Shocking. So,
1: like, for example, they need a faculty mentor for their, like, robotics club, and then they're all like, oh, oh, Ashley could do it. (laughs) (laughs) They rely, like, Tad especially, who is often the butt of the joke for his... Dopiness. He often relies on her ability to think through a scenario for him in a way that he is not able to. But definitely, like, <laughs> the workplace stuff is just so sitcom. Like, they're working in a jet propulsion lab. And there's several times when Uncle Victor just shows up. <laughs> At the oh, okay. Jet Propulsion Lab, like, hey, what's up? I'm just here to say hi. It's like you don't you don't get to go to NASA to just say hi, you know.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't swing by the top secret security <laughs> clearance place.
1: And there's a bunch of moments where she, you know they're talking about uh, later in the season. Her best friend from grad school comes, and so obviously her best friend from grad school is a grown woman, and uh, they they have this inexplicable part where they talk about doing I think it's the they go to the MIT talent show just
0: not a not a thing thing.
1: and they sing a song about meteors and it's like Okay. okay I mean it's adorable but it's also like nobody involved in the creation of this show actually knows anything about science. It has a very big bang <laughs> There's no science uh, consultant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or even just like a what the world is like consultant. Like it very right. much feels like um, big bang theory in that way. What I think is nicer is that it's less, it has less of a tendency to be like, oh, look at them nerds. And more hmm. of a tendency to be like, this is a girl who has one set of experiences and now she wants to try to build a normal life. And can those two things coexist? Right. Because the humor is usually not in the fact like, oh, she's so she's such a smart nerd and she doesn't know how to live in the world. And more like sort of genuine fish out of water sort of storytelling. Okay, good. I think it's worth us mentioning one of the sort of pushes in terms of if we want to talk about stunt casting. Mm -hmm. Uncle Victor is something of a stunt cast choice.
0: What? You mean that hot, hot body?
1: (laughs) Giancarlo Canela. He's Cuban-American singer, songwriter and actor. He's like extremely famous.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And super popular telenovela actor.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, see, there you go. That's one of those things where I assumed he was some kind of name property because he looks super young. Yeah. So (laughs) a big part of it was like, oh, so they cast this really hot young uncle. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. the queer in me was very much like oh are are you sure that I am not your target audience for this (laughs) but that makes sense right because he is then the known property for the show like that's an automatic selling feature to certain communities of which I am not a member and I had no idea
1: well and this is the thing so he's had an exclusivity contract with Telemundo for like a decade um, Mm -hmm. where he starred in a ton of stuff for them and then he made his English language debut with Eva Longoria in uh, telenovela that NBC show show okay it was like a single camera sitcom that was behind the scenes at a telenovela oh okay yeah and so he starred in that um and then he actually he was jesus when fox made its passion yeah no let's just move on from that well no I know but um, (laughs) so it's funny because his character arc in the eight episode season or half season or whatever we're talking about is Mm. that he gave up his dream as a football player because of his flub but before he gave up his dream as a football player he gave up his dream to be a musician so he had to give up that dream to pursue football and now he's like untethered because he has no dreams and so over the course of this half season he finds his way back to music and then in the eighth episode he sings and it's very much like everybody's been waiting everybody except me has been, has been waiting for this guy to sing for quite right. some time right so mm-hmm. definite stunt cast for and definite sense that this is not a show that cares i mean it would like a big audience i'm sure but the primary interest is not whether or not white people like this show like i yeah. definitely get the sense that at least to a certain extent the casting decisions were made around appealing to a broad latino latina audience mm-hmm. primarily
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so I do feel like we should also acknowledge that we did get an email from a listener.
1: Max, what would we do without you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Max posed a bunch of different questions or topics that he wanted us to touch on or that he had thoughts on. So should we just kind of do a quick lightning round? Yeah, do it like a lightning round. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that Max mentions is the presentation of Mm Tad and his distinct lack of intelligence, except that he's kind of the cute, lovable idiot, but the joke is not at his expense that he's dumb. The joke is always that Ashley's smart, which is something you've kind of mentioned briefly.
1: Max had a much stronger reaction to this than I did. I think that part of what's going on in this first half season is that these teenagers are trying to figure out how to relate to Ashley as much as she is trying to relate to these teenagers. And I think particularly her relationship with Stick is quite nice because he gets her like for who she is already but I agree that definitely Tad is cut way more slack than she is he's also the football star right like they're playing into some pretty typical tropes of American teen programming like everybody protects the football star and he's a little bit dumb and there's nothing particularly edgy (laughs) or creative going on there although and I think Max alludes to this later in the email we do sort of realize that It's never dealt with seriously, but Tad's dad is abusive.
0: Yes, it comes up very strongly. I think midway through the pilot episode where he talks about the fact that he has to maintain his football scholarship because he's getting tutored by Ashley. And he says he has to keep it because it's the only way he'll go to college. And when she presses him on it, he actually says, Oh, my dad has said that yeah. if I don't keep this, and then he lists off a series of just super inappropriate nicknames that his father has given yeah. him, and they're basically all about how stupid he is. Yeah. And it's played for laugh, but also not. It's a very thin line that the show walks, yes. and I was intrigued to know whether or not that kind of comes up or comes to anything.
1: We just keep learning more about his family, and like none of it is good, <laughs> basically. Um, but it's kind of like, I wonder how they're going to deal with it. It has the vibe of like, remember how on Fraser they got to the point where they had trashed Maris so entirely that they could never actually show her on screen? Like, we could right. never have a Maris because there is no human being who looks or acts, acts like, that. like that yeah and i wonder if there's something similar going on with tad's backstory like if if this is just a way to never have to meet his family but it also mm. is a useful explanation for why he almost lives at the coach's house like he's right. always at yeah. the coach's house right yeah
0: because that is one of the things It's like how do we keep these people in close proximity to one another so that we can have wacky hijinks exactly <laughs> okay the next piece that max raises is thoughts on the brooke ashley dynamic so we don't mm. talk too much about brooke She is presented as your traditional appearance-driven girl. So she describes herself as a social media influencer, which is terrifying to me.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: But she's very, you know, she's traditionally pretty. She's white. She's got the blonde hair. She Mm -hmm. looks like she could be like a former Disney star. Yeah. But the thing I really liked in the two episodes that I saw is that she doesn't get played against Ashley. No! Because that was the thing I was so fearful of, is that they would be coming into conflict. Because in the first episode, she very actively tells Ashley, don't go after Tad. And I thought they were setting it up as a conflict where both girls were going to try to go after the same boy.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, bless they did not.
1: (laughs) They get there, eventually. Ah, crap. (laughs) I know. And it's not Tad, it's actually Stick. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic that happens.
0: Well, you can see there's something about Brooke and Stick in the second episode where he shows up at a party and they have a, a quick little encounter, and you think, oh, there's something there.
1: Yeah. So even when they kind of triangulate around Stick, they never, yes, they're never really in sort of rivalry together. It's kind of a misunderstanding that leads to them both being in that position in in the series but what i yes i like that they are friends they're a team like brooke Yeah, they're is... not
0: frenemies she's Uh-oh. not a bitch to ashley no
1: brooke is very invested in helping ashley figure out how to live in this world and there's um an episode where ashley feels very left out because brooke obviously has other friends like midway through the season we discover that brooke does have other friends um
0: oh they're they're in the second episode
1: Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. And Ashley gets really hurt by that. But what ha- ends up happening is like we find out that Brooke feels insecure around Ashley's like of NASA course. friends because of course she would. They're <laughs> adults. <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, just as a side note, I think Max really hit it on the head when he said it's basically moving away from a mean girl archetype Mm -hmm. and now focusing on the socially intelligent fashion forward loyal L Woods, aka legally blonde types. And I thought that was a really succinct, appropriate way of describing who Brooke is in the context of the show.
1: Yeah. And as the season progresses, we discover that she's incredibly community minded and generous and giving, um, but she doesn't tell anybody about it. And that part of her life never makes it onto her Instagram so right. she's much more complex than you think she's going to be, and I liked that.
0: Yes, I mean, ooh, complexity in characters.
1: <laughs> what a novel idea.
0: <laughs> uh Looking at you, me, and Earl on the Dying Girl. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. we're still mad. <laughs> yeah, still mad.
0: Uh, okay, Max wonders whether or not you saw any kind of homoeroticism between Stick and Tad. I did not get anything but i felt like they also didn't interact in the two episodes i watched
1: i didn't get anything either but i'm okay. happy to be wrong
0: <laughs> happy to be wrong or max you're, <laughs> you're doing that thing that i do on my other show which is just that we see it everywhere <laughs> we want it to be everywhere and so it is i
1: actually quite like their friendship i think it's a really sweet friendship tad doesn't make fun of stick for being a bit of a dork and mm-hmm. stick occasionally out of like sort of a defensive posture will will make fun of Tad but they're they're very loving to each other so Mm -hmm. to that extent
0: yeah I feel like we've kind of touched on some of the other issues yeah I guess the last one to bring up is apparently this is a collaboration between Netflix and Nickelodeon which now that I've read that I can totally see it I can because it does feel more like a Nickelodeon show to me than a Netflix show yes but Max was interested in how this sort of branding or this unconstrainedness from a Netflix point of view is allowing both networks the opportunity to stretch their creative wings.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I know enough about like, it definitely felt like a sort of mid 2000s. Nickelodeon kind of show to me Mm -hmm. and I mean that in the most generous possible way but I don't I don't know Max wrote something really interesting in that email about how he sees the stamp of one day at a time on this show yes in its willingness to do things like um, we find out that Brooke has a homeless aunt Um, we know about this abuse in Tad's family so these things that probably wouldn't have come up in One of those shows in that time period, maybe One Day at a Time has opened the door to a multi-camera sitcom that has a little bit more truth, Yeah, you know, which I hadn't thought of before I watched it. I mean, I saw this as really something quite different from One Day at a Time, just because One Day at a Time was so issue forward. And this is definitely not. But I I take the point that that layer of of complexity probably was not possible before.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this seems slightly, I don't want to say subversive because I don't know that it's doing anything that different, but it is sly in the way Mm -hmm. that it's hiding its issues in plain sight in a way almost to make it innocuous so that it's going down easier. And then you realize in hindsight, oh, wow, there was actually a fair amount of socially driven issues that were packed into this, Mm -hmm. but they're not heavy handed in the way that grates on people.
1: Yes, I think that's exactly true. Okay yeah
0: interesting Mm. thank you for the email max always appreciate it and i was
1: so glad to see it max because i knew joe had kind of like tapped out after two episodes and i was like oh good somebody else is now an ashley garcia super fan
0: (laughs) well and the good news is is that if people are do end up checking out the show and they end up enjoying it you can look forward to another set of episodes they haven't announced when part two of season one will drop but we will keep an eye out for it and let you folks know absolutely I guess in the meantime, if you do check out the show, feel free to send us in your thoughts.
1: Yes, please do. So you can find us on the Twitters at hashtag HKHSpod. Joe, if they want to talk to you, how do they find you?
0: I am at B stole my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an a and if you've got something a little bit longer to send us um you can go ahead and send that to hkhspod at gmail.com and of course we're always welcoming minisode ideas or if max heard we were talking to watch the show and talk about it and he watched it and sent in his thoughts that kind of thing is always welcome yes yeah
0: So next week, we are back on the regular sewed format. And as teased, we are going to be dipping into the more high-profile Netflix Mm -hmm. YA show. So we're going to be checking out I Am Not Okay With This, which is a comic by Charles Forsman. Spoiler alert, we've already recorded the episode, and we all hated the comic.
1: We hated it so much. (laughs) And I do want to take a moment. We've already done this once before, but just to make sure everybody's aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty significant trigger warning on that comic. I think you can see from the trailer of the TV series what you're getting into, but I was blindsided by the comic. So trigger warning for suicide, also domestic violence, and self-harm. Thoughts of self-harm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty dark comic, but...
1: It's a dark comic with little payoff. Don't pick it up. Just watch the show.
0: Yeah, this is another one where we can't heartily recommend the source material. Mm -hmm. We found the adaption works a little bit better. But Mm -hmm. you know what? You'll have to listen next week to hear all of our thoughts on it in depth.
1: Absolutely, and those of you who love and who love it when I'm really disappointed in something, which I know you're out there, you weirdos, <laughs> will enjoy this episode. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe one of these days we'll find another source material that doesn't bother us quite so oh,
1: much. Oh, one day, Joe. One day. One day. Okay. All right. Well, with that, until next time, I will see you on the page,
0: and I will see you on the screen.